0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area it's episode 669 of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast i'm your head number one my name is matt Baum, and every time i see scotus mentioned in an article i think it sounds a lot like the name of a polish tech death metal band scotus you know it sounds way scarier than it is i I mean yeah i I, yeah i
1: I get it i'm your head number two the internet's joe patrick and it's the opinion of both your two-headed masters that women should have the right to not only choose what's right for their bodies but what's in their comic pile too In this Senses Shattering episode, we'll be reviewing eight new comics, and then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for our must-read picks for next
0: week's comics. After that, we're going to give you a sample of the THN Extra. It's some of the extra content you get access to when you support THN on Patreon, as we count down our top five comic characters with explosive powers to celebrate the 4th of July. So... Put in your earplugs, wrap your nervous little dog in a thunder shirt if you don't like loud noises, because it all starts right after I scream! It's new comic review time in the Diggeron.
1: This episode's new comic review pile starts with last week's comics from Wednesday, June 22nd, and then jumps to this week, June 29th. In the pile this week, we've got the return of the old new FF, a farewell to the X-Men, eh, these X-Men, a gay thief that looks great in black, and it all starts with a heartwarming family story starring Black Adam?
0: That's what I thought, too. Here we are, Black Adam, number one from DC. This is written by Christopher Priest with art by Rafa Sandoval. Here is your solicit. There is no forgiveness for Black Adam. This is the reality Teth Adam, immortal man of indomitable will, must face when he discovers he's been infected with an incurable plague, destroying his immortality. Haunted by the specter of centuries of dark deeds, Black Adam transfers his powers to a worthy successor who will redeem Adam's legacy and defend their ancestral homeland of Kandak, only to subsequently become mystically handcuffed to him when Adam's plague is arrested, giving birth to perhaps the most volatile and dysfunctional super team in DC history. Powered by stunning art, by Rafa Sendeval, who's been working on Justice League, and breathtaking painted covers by Irving Rodriguez, who worked on Detective Comics, with writer Christopher Priest, who worked on Deathstroke, and he also did some Justice League, I guess. Brings his trademark wit and a skill for character deconstruction to an entirely fresh examination of the man you love to hate. Spoilers, some of that doesn't happen here yet, but get ready to ride the lightning. <laughs> so... Maybe you've heard, but Black Adam has a little movie coming. So DC saw fit to give us a new Black Adam series that takes place before the death of the Justice League with a THN favorite writing. I have been a huge fan of Priest since his Deadpool and Black Panther runs at Marvel in the 90s. His recent Deathstroke series as DC was great, too, and it really highlighted his talent writing these very stern, serious characters while balancing a story with very witty humor. He's good at that, and he does it to great effect in this issue. Here, Priest is introducing a new idea for Adam, and possibly a familial connection for the character that has otherwise been a loner up to this point. Now, I was a little confused at at one point in the book, because we do see Adam switching back and forth from, like, a a normal form or he's got kind of sexy hair to the slick back black Adam guy. Joe and I discussed it a little bit. We both kind of came down on the side that this is probably something that happened in one of the last three reboots we missed. It's not important and it's not going to hurt your story time. If you don't know about it, like it or hate it, Brian Michael Bendis did a nice job leveraging Adam's new status quo, working with the Justice League. He's kind of become a nicer version of Doctor Doom. No one really trusts him yet, but if Superman says he's cool for now, well, that'll get him some credit, I suppose. Rafa Sandoval has made a giant leap in his penciling to superstar status in the past year. Each new book he's on somehow looks even better than the last, and his art here is just Amazing, he captures the lightning and the magic that powers Adam perfectly. This is an excellent start for this book, and it's a great twist for the character, too. I hope the movie is this good. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, uh,
1: I thought this was really good. Uh, Rafa Sandoval, I, I've been a fan for a long time now. I, I, I love Rafa Sandoval's art, yeah, powerhouse. And he's just he's gotten better and better and better and better. Um, the Black Adam thing, Matt and I discussed it at length. Um, the idea that um, that Adam could transform Billy Batson style into a human form uh, is is something that used to be true. And then when he came back in the pages of Jeff Johns as JSA, uh, they kind of did away with that because unlike Billy, uh, who is just like empowered by the magic of Shazam, The power of Black Adam was tied to Teth Adam, the man.
0: Right, because at first he was tied to the wizard, but they separated that.
1: Well, it was given to him by the wizard, right? And and so like it's so Theo Adam historically, like pre whatever this whatever we're calling this rebirth or infinite frontier, whatever. Uh, Theo Adam was evil, 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 yeah, uh, bad like yeah. an archeological grave robber. He killed Billy Batson's parents. It's bad. Um, he was not chosen, obviously, he was not chosen by Shazam to be the avatar of his you power. You shall be the bad yeah. guy. <laughs> uh, he, he like, he like found, he found the magical scarab or whatever that contained Black Adam. Right, right. And then so he channeled like... He became Black Adam, but he was evil because Theo Adam is evil. Um, When he came back in JSA, something happened. I can't remember the details. Don't worry about it. You can look it up if you want. But he transformed from Black Adam back to human form, and then Theo Adam immediately aged to bones. Yeah, because he hadn't been in that form for thousands of years. he was decrepitly old. Right. Uh, well, I mean, Theo Adam was like Indiana Jones uh, kind of time period. So oh, he was in oh, okay. like 40s. So th- but still, very, very old. Teth like, he would have been long the, dead.
0: Teth Adam is the really old one.
1: Teth, Teth Adam is the original the guy from gotcha. the dynasty of Prince Khufu. Right, 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 Who became Hawkman eventually. And so, yeah, that's how we got Black Adam as kind of like the Magneto-esque liberating anti-hero. Anti-hero,
0: yeah, type character. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so this kind of re re-establishment of the Theo Adam uh, identity was very interesting to me I, I I don't know uh I don't know where it came from or if it, it it's new but I like the fact that he's not you know evil he's just like the guy that runs the politics uh and so I liked that twist and priest is always a treat this is a buy it from me yeah great book the
0: wizard's name Shazam!
1: From the sand-swept streets of Kandak to the mean streets of New York City,
0: it's new Fantastic Four number one. I thought you were going to take us to the sand-swept streets of Las Vegas, because that's where we end up. So. Oh,
1: you're right. It's, <laughs> but it, it does start in New York City. Yeah, okay, you're right. Okay. Uh, it's Fantastic. It's new Fantastic Four number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Peter David with art by Alan Robinson and Mike Spicer. Here's your solicit. Spider-Man! Ghost Rider! Wolverine! Hulk! When these unlikely heroes first banded together to become the new Fantastic Four, they made Marvel history. And now this fan favorite team returns in an all new adventure written by Peter David. I said that. Set shortly after the events of the group's first appearance uh, in like the early 90s. Brace yourself for a wild ride and guest stars aplenty, including the original FF, plus a series of mystery villains that you'll never see coming Uh, again. None of those last two things Neither of those last two things Happened in this issue Yeah, not really Uh, Very, very similar to The Black Adam's solicit. This is the latest In a string of retro-themed Miniseries set During popular storylines From when we were kids Some of them have worked Better than others Some of them exist Just to get you to Fork over your money In a nostalgia-induced haze Peter David is at the helm of this return to the new Fantastic Four era, a single storyline that existed just to get you to fork over your money in an extreme 90s-induced haze. But this new story is decent so far, seeing this unlikely team being compelled to travel to Las Vegas for... Oh, you know what? That actually... That, that wasn't supposed to be sarcastic. It just says four reasons, but I actually did have an adjective there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> For unknown reasons, things get supernatural real quick as the FF are forced to fend off an army of demonically possessed homeless people. David's script is solid and full of his trademark humor. There is one bizarre scene that stuck out to me, though, where I thought that Spider-Man was just going to let the vulture escape in order to go beg the Daily Bugle for money. But I realize now that that was because of the whole supernaturally compelled thing. The art by Alan Robinson is sharp with just a few awkwardly drawn faces here and there. Uh, But the colors by Mike Spicer, on loan from his partnership with uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, are excellent. There's a kind of texture to them that really makes the colors stand out like the art was drawn on old uh, toothy paper. They call it toothy. New Fantastic Four is a decent enough read, but I just don't have enough interest in revisiting this era to justify sticking with it for the long haul just like all the other ones, all the other miniseries just like this. I'm giving it a skim. It.
0: Yeah, okay. So what you said about handing over your money in a 90s-induced, you know, uh, haze, that's kind of exactly what I felt like. And I read half of this and went, I don't even need to read the rest to review it. But then I said, no, Matt, don't do that the other yeah. half and i finished Damn. it and i promptly forgot everything that happened because nothing much did this was look i i love peter david i love that fantastic four run where they were replaced by these characters briefly it was ridiculous and stupid and a ton of fun it was four issues yeah why do people keep fussing about yeah, it yeah i mean it's literally three issues i think i don't even think it was four nah, it was it was four yeah was fantastic four 347 348 and 349 Three issues this happened in, and it was ridiculous, and Art Adams drew it, and I think that's why I loved it so much back in the day. Now,
1: I think that's the only reason anybody likes
0: it. That's you know, really, literally the only reason anyone liked it, because the story, even back in the day, was not that great. This is just filler at best. I really didn't care. I didn't find the storyline particularly clever. I don't understand the the priest named Priest that can grant wishes or something. I don't know, I but I don't need this. I mean, his last name is Priest. It's not a leave it... But it's hard to give it a skim it because I don't think anybody should pay any money for this at all. <laughs> this whole I mean, line, look, a- this whole line of these Marvel books where they just like revisit something to revisit it. I don't get it. I'm giving it a low skim it. That's where I'm at.
1: Well, that's just like it's not bad. Yeah, like, it's not. It's it's competently executed. It's fine. There must there must be an there must be an audience
0: for them or else they wouldn't keep doing. That. I guess I don't um, know. I'm just not in that audience. So skim it. No. And you know what you can do to get me to read this? go get Art Adams to do it with you. and I'll No, he'll never I'll do, do that. He won't. He will never do that. He so. will not he will never do this. he will not But then I'd be like, buy it. <laughs> I totally would. Even with the same story, okay? <laughs> While we're on the subject of punching demons, let's talk about The Lonesome Hunters. Number one of four from Dark Horse. It's written and drawn by Tyler Crook. Here is your solicit from Russ Manning Award winning and Eisner nominated Harrow County co-creator Tyler Crook comes this supernatural fantasy about loss, power and destiny. An old and out-of-practice monster hunter in hiding crosses paths with a young girl that forces him to confront these chaotic creatures. As the beasts invade their tenement, they set off on a supernatural road trip to stop these ancient evils in a story that explores the ways that youth informs adulthood and how early traumas can haunt us in old age. Then there's a little asterisk, and it says, coming-of-age fantasy adventure. It kind of makes it sound like it's okay for kids, but there's a lot of cussing here, so eh, I don't know. Tyler Crook is an amazing artist that got his start at Dark Horse working in the Magnoliaverse, drawing some truly creepy specters, demons, and monsters. Years later, Crook's art style has really come into its own, and he's adding writer to his resume with this four-issue mini. The story starts in the past with a kid holding a magic sword. He's sent to kill a demon summoned by cultists. Once again, Crook does an amazing job making an almost innocent-looking demon look otherworldly and super creepy. The killing doesn't go down quite the way the child's religious zealot dad was hoping. And then the story jumps to today. Crook is telling a story similar to the BPRD Hellboy world he came out of, but the tone of this story is all its own. It's a story of two unlikely heroes. One, an old man getting another shot at fulfilling his destiny and a young kid who made the wrong decision and may have invited a supernatural threat into her family. art reminds me a little of Eric Powell's work here. He's using a lot of gray... Yellow and brown tones with an almost watercolor wash background to make the story feel kind of timeless but old at the same time. And the book looks just incredible. There's supernatural elements, but they seem to be rooted in some kind of nature or animal spirits, unlike the alien frog demons and tentacled horrors of the Mignolaverse. This is a very strong start for Crook's first writing effort, and I'm betting it's going to read a little better when it's finished. I like this issue a lot, but it did feel a bit this four-issue mini was maybe created as a graphic novel, and they just sort of broke it up. You know, it's a little slow burn, and there's a a past thing that happens. It goes, oh, okay, that's setting that up. And then uh, it's kind of slow burn, and then something happens in the end. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it might just be a slow burn. It's it, four issues. Could be. <laughs> I just, I have a feeling this is going to read better when it's all collected. But I really like th- it. That could be.
1: I mean, that, it, that, it's one thing to say. Like, it's one. Oh, sorry, I'll let you
0: finish with the. Oh, I'm right, um, no. Right. I get. I thought I already read it. I really liked yeah. it. I'm giving it a buy it. I just think it'll probably be as a four issue complete thought. I bet it's going to flow a little better.
1: Certainly. And uh, I think that saying that something will read better as uh, it, it, like read in one shot is a lot different than saying it was originally written as one thing and then right. broken into chunks because that's a whole different kind of thing. Um, but uh, I, I, I I, agree. It was really great. The art is good. Are you sure that Tyler Crook, uh, this is his first writing?
0: Yeah. First thing he's written. Okay.
1: Um, and I thought that he got his start on Harrow County.
0: I don't remember seeing him before Harrow. 2011, he got started with uh, BPRD. I think Harrow County was like 2015. I, I get you. Um, but yeah, I, I love his art.
1: Um, and it's always had that kind of like watercolor. Like it's it's penciled, right? Penciled and yeah. inked. But it's also colored with watercolors. And then there is ink wash, which kind of gives it that, that quality you described. And Eric Powell does it as well, which is where you're. Um, thought of the goon comes from but um i love that i love that technique like i wish i could ink wash i never really learned how to do it but uh yeah it's he's a tremendous talent and i think that yeah this probably will read better in one go but i did like this first issue i'm giving it a buy it it's it's
0: really good and i love that freaking sword yeah you, you know what it's not the same one it's not the sword of hyperborea it's shaped kind of like it. it's not the same no one. i know that the sword of hyperborea um it's got the teeth
1: does the fork at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Like a forked tongue. Yeah. Um, but I do I like I love <laughs> I love a giant sword that just like looks flat. You know, it's just huge and flat. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, look yeah. like a it's not a broad sword, it's right. not a rapier, uh, you know, it's not color. it's just a huge, it's not even a Final Fantasy sword. It's just a huge, flat sword. It almost looks like a if you didn't know it was sharp on the sides, it looks like a cricket bat. Um and I think I just <laughs> I love that, <laughs> that as a design quirk. I think it's great. This year's Hellfire Gala is only a couple weeks away. I Are know. you ready?
0: I've got an outfit. Do you outfit, have your
1: outfit picked out yet?
0: Just like Gambit's, you can totally see my nipples. It's great.
1: Have you said yes to the dress yet,
0: Matt?
1: <laughs> Let's get to Krakoa. We're talking about X-Men number 12. It's Marvel Comics written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz and Marty Gracia. Here's your solicit. The grand climax on the eve of the Hellfire Gala. Threats have closed in on the X-Men from all sides. The secret machinations of Dr. Stasis, the terror of Game World, even the threat of the X-Men's own secrets getting out. It's all led to this. Now, I've been on a real X-kick lately. Uh, I've been catching up on several of the individual titles without worrying too much about the line as a whole. And I've got to say, I found myself really enjoying my time on Krakoa. Instead of feeling like keeping up with how everything weaves together like it was a job. I encourage you all to check out Hellions, which is probably the best X-Men in recent memory. Oh, yeah. It's not a joke. It's, It's tremendous.
0: Who wrote it? Was that Zeb Wells? Zeb Wells. I thought so.
1: Yeah, it, it, it ended with issue 18 a, a, a few months ago. It's very good from start to finish. Another contender, though, is Jerry Duggan's X-Men. It's been a wild ride as Krakoa's premier superhero team has operated out in the world, fighting living clouds of fungal spores that literally gamble with the fates of entire worlds. Battle the sinister machinations of Orchis. That's two machinations yeah. in this
0: review. Are you getting paid
1: Even by crack. the machination, or what's going on here? Uh, hey. <laughs> And they deal with the very public death of Cyclops and the danger his presence on the team poses for the resurrection protocols. Now the identities of the evil Dr. Stasis and the heroic Captain Krakoa are revealed and the team roster is in upheaval. Just in time for this year's Hellfire Gala and a new X-Men election. Oh, I just hope we get to for Polaris
0: all over again. Nah, she, I
1: think she's... Uh, oh no, Sync is staying with the team. Yeah. Cyclops and... G- is it even sync or is it Wolverine? It's, it's Sink, sink Cyclops, sync, Cyclops, and- Cyclops,
0: and Jean Grey. Yeah. Everybody else is out. No, I know. I was joking because these jerks all picked Polaris last year I over know, Sunspot. But hey,
1: look. But she ended up okay, right? She uh-huh. was great in
0: this book. Great. She was wonderful.
1: She was great in this book. Mm-hmm. You shut up. I didn't say she wasn't. <laughs> you went, uh-huh, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This series has been a treat thanks to the creative storytelling of Jerry Duggan and the tremendous art of Pepe Larraz and Marde Gracia. Cordyceps Jones, the the degenerate cosmic mushroom, might be my favorite new villain in a very long time. And the big reveal twist of Dr. Stasis's identity was something I didn't see coming. There's a clue to it in this review, if you were paying attention. Huh? Duggan's plot ends with a wonderful moment that shows how the world has embraced the X-Men and an irresistible tease of Orcus's plan to infiltrate the gala next month. Uh, It's already been revealed uh, in a a bunch of other books. If you haven't been paying attention, Uh, Moira McTaggart is going to wear Mary Jane Watson to the Hellfire Gala like a suit. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but yes, I'm in, I'm into it. Uh, X-Men 12 serves as a great wrap up to a year's worth of stories. And it's really wonderful to see the X-Men out there as superheroes again, huge buy it. I have loved this run and I got to tell you, people keep asking like our friend, Joe, uh, our friend, Joe Michelunis on Twitter just asked us, uh, also on the discord, uh, plug, plug discord. Um, he asked on Twitter, all I read was hocks and pox. And I'm kind of curious about X-Men Red. Is there anything I need to read before I get into X-Men Red? And I went, well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In in the case of X-Men Red, yes. But, like... I want, to, I want to encourage people that are curious about the X-Men to not worry so much about jumping into individual titles. Like Hellions, though it did have some things to do with uh, things that happened elsewhere, is just a great ride. Um, you might really like the pirate kind of Kitty pride theme of Marauders, you know, um, or, or Wolverine on its own is really great. Um, and so, don't worry so much. Just kind of jump in, pick your poison, and get into it. Sure, I think um, if you want to read
0: X Men Red, though, all you really need to do uh, d- read Planet Size X Men. It's gonna set some well, stuff up, I- and you'll know why they're there.
1: That's it. I mean, ten, ten of, ten of Swords kind of introduce, uh, kind of sets up the entire concept
0: of Araco. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't want to read twenty six issues, <laughs> look, right, okay. Then I, uh,
1: then I'll grant you that. Read a wiki recap of uh, of Ten of Swords, yeah. and then read Planetside's X Men yeah. number one, if and get into X-Men it. X Men is great. It is, and uh, and ten, and X Men Red, which is four issues in, is turning uh, out it took, to X. It took two issues, two issues to grab me. First two issues, I was like, I don't know, and then number three, I was like, oh yes, I love and it. And then number four, also great,
0: I love um, it. So let's talk about this yeah, it, comic for a minute here.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, I, like right now, I'm like, this is my encouragement. See, I, I like I, I have spent a weekend catching up on two different X titles from basically the beginning, and I've been thrilled with the experience. So just get in there, man. Uh, this is a huge buy. It. I can't wait for the. I hope Jerry Duggan gets to stay with it. He probably won't. I don't but, think
0: Duggan's leaving. I think he's still I, there. Well,
1: but I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna start over with a new number one. I'm not sure. I haven't
0: heard. In the back of this book, it does say next in like X Men 13. So, but did the vote happen already? I believe so. The yeah. second one did already. I think
1: so. I didn't think it had happened. Yeah, because yet. they did. They did the. They did last year's vote well before the
0: gala. No, I no. Because I, they I had remember to make up yeah. stories. I remember that. Um, but if they do this every year, I'm in. Let's have an election fun. every year. Like, it's I, fun. I,
1: well, and and it's not like like the election was for one character, not for a team of characters. Right. They they have the next X Men team already. Sure, picked they're out. just gonna pick one. Whatever. So, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I, like I love the idea that the X Men turns over like once a
0: year. That's yeah, great. It's super fun. That's great. And and this yeah this run, Duggan has really really jumped up on my list of writers that I have to read every month. Like I like, was, I don't want to go so far him. as to
1: say I don't know. Like I don't want to compare him to anybody because he's his own man. But like this to me stands right up there with some of Hickman's X Men work.
0: Oh like, yeah, like, this no, is a great book. Definitely, I, I think if anybody is doing the weirdness of Hickman and sort of like running with that ball really well. It's Duggan. I don't think anybody else is doing it as well. The, some of the books are good, but they're not doing all the weird Hickman stuff.
1: I, yeah, the art
0: sure. in this. Oh my God. It's, it's, very, it's so good. Jesus. It looks amazing. Yeah. The, huge buy it for me. I, this run was a lot of fun. X-Men. Nice job. Magneto is over there. Follow me jumping forward in time to today June 29th let's talk about Starhenge book 1 from Image it's written and drawn by Liam Sharp here's your solicit revered creator Liam Sharp cuts loose and it's visually stunning I mean, 6 issue masterpiece Starhenge, book one! Prove that he's not, you a, know? A future Merlin travels to 5th century Britain to prevent monstrous time-traveling killer robots from robbing the universe of magic. And Amber Weaver's lively present-day narrative reveals how she becomes drawn into a war across time. The Terminator meets the Green Knight in 30 enthralling story pages setting the scene for this original epic inspired by the Arthurian sagas. Where to start with a book like Starhenge? How about the art? I think I can explain the art. Liam Sharp has produced a stunning work of fantasy sci-fi art in the vein of HR Geiger meets Frank Frazetta via Mobius. Para Sharp's exquisite 80s heavy metal magazine style with digital coloring effects. And there there are pages here that could melt your brain. This comic looks beyond amazing acid trip, 70s sci-fi prog rock record cover, kick ass. The story is wild, to say the least. But Sharp uses very clever narration from the point of view character, uh, what was her name, Amber, who is alive today, to sell this time-spanning fantasy, and it works. It works really well, actually. My head was spinning when the story started. Then the humorous narration comes in and basically lets you, the reader, know, just stick around and you will get it. I promise. She even says that. And by the end, I think I totally got it. Hinge is an incredible comic by a creator that's either completely out of his mind or working at a level that I have rarely seen. I couldn't be more happy for Sharp, who has been beyond excited to get this comic out on stands for months now. It is heady. It is weird. It is a wild ride. But if you're into that kind of highbrow, classic sci-fi, this is going to be a great ride. I'm giving this a buy it.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, I'm going to try to uh, review this without being... Um, negative about it because uh, like I have to be critical because that's it's criticism. Well, it's, sure, yeah, it's not like that's not a bad word, but there's nothing I found bad about it. Uh, it is tremendous. Uh, like the art is, it's it is the product of of an enormous talent. Like you can't. Yeah. There's no denying it, and there's a reason why Liam Sharp was our Golden Beppo Award winner. Mine, uh, specifically. Uh, yeah, I get it, Matt. But like, I'm claiming him. It's fine, but look, look, we're we 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 are a collective, right? And so, like, he was so excited about that that he put it in his Twitter bio <laughs> for a while. Yeah, it's great. Which I which was at no end of delight. Um, And so, yeah, Liam Sharp, not taking anything away from the guy. Um, But there is sci fi, you know, like Star Wars, which I mean, I guess that's science fancy, but you know what I mean. Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Star Trek, okay? Like, there's Star Trek, there's, you know, uh, there's sci fi. And then there's sci fi written in giant um, skyscraper high flaming letters. Sure. And this is kind of that one. And I almost always just like run straight into that one like it's a brick wall. And that's a me thing, not a Liam Sharp thing. And I don't really think it's fair to hold it against the book. It's not the sort of thing that I will probably keep up with. But um, this is a really well produced first issue. And I can tell like you can see the. Uh, the love and the excitement like As you said excitement I guess
0: The reverence um, and, he has for this stuff Yeah you know, reverence yeah like, like, like
1: you can see the, His enthusiasm poured into Every page every panel
0: Every word oh yeah and you can see his and, inspirations And like he even calls out He's like look this is like doc- in the story The narrator like this is Doctor Who shit It's timey wimey hold on
1: <laughs> Yeah <laughs> right. I mean Doctor Who sh- Doctor Who shit is is a, is one thing Like that's almost quaint this is not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And so I have to give this a skimmit, but I want you to remember all the things I said before wow. this. And it Just like wow. a skimmit a skimmit is not a bad review. It is it is this is me saying I can recognize the talent and uh and care put into this issue and also not really be into it personally because, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm a ba- I'm a dummy. I don't know whatever yeah, you guess. want to say. I guess whatever insult whatever insult Matt wants. To I'll level let you
0: insult me. yourself. That's fine. No, I'm just saying. Like, look, it, like
1: not ev- not everybody is into reading. You know, twelve books of Dune. You well, know? Sure, it's like it's just
0: sure. Yeah, I qualified that in my review too. Like, this is extremely heady sci-fi but stuff, but you, know? you are into it where i, I love am not stuff. normally yeah. so that's why it's
1: a buy it for you and a very 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 strong skim it for me you need to be when you're in the shop when you're online absolutely flip through it if they'll let you take a look at it see if it's for you and then make your decision that's a skim it for me Get down to earth. Something I can understand. Something a dummy like me can understand. (laughs) On to something a little easier to follow, right, Joe? (laughs) Yeah, you know, (laughs) copyright law. We're talking about public domain number one from Image Comics. It's written and drawn by Chip Zdarsky, whom I will be referring to for the remainder of this review as Chip, instead of Zdarsky, because that's how he refers to himself. True. Here's your solicit. Sid Dallas is responsible for pop culture's greatest hero, the domain. But his sons, Miles and David, have a complicated relationship with both the creation and their creator. Can they convince their dad to fight for their family's legacy? This fun and heartfelt series, written and illustrated by Eisner winner Chip Zdarsky, you know him from Sex Criminals and Daredevil, explores a wild alternate world. That is written in all caps so that you understand the sarcasm. Ah. It's a wild alternate uh, world.
0: Get it? Don't take my job, Marvel. You'll get it. (laughs) Please don't fire me. Uh,
1: Where comic book creators aren't properly acknowledged or compensated for their creations. Crazy, I know. Hi, it's me, Chip. I'm writing this solicitation. Uh, Chip is back with another new series woefully bereft of dick jokes. Very much in the vein of The Escapists by Brian K. Vaughn and Philip Bond, Public Domain looks at the impact the creation of a worldwide phenomenon had on the family of its forgotten creator and the partner that screwed him along the way. If you can't drive a semi-truck between the lines of the allegorical story Chip is telling here, then you haven't been paying attention to the last 80 years of comic book history. I found the Dallas family instantly endearing. Miles carries his father's legacy almost like a burden, while his brother Dave is too busy avoiding things. He... he For no reason germane to the plot at all, Dave has uh, bought a former butcher's van and turned it into a happy good time van. And so instead of the name of the business, which was The Gentle Butcher... He has painted over it, and now it's the gentle bus. It's Dave's gentle bus. (laughs) Uh, And I don't, like, there's no reason for that. It's just funny. Their father, Sid, is a Silver Age legend with a true love of the medium that's been pushed aside by his former partner. And if that snake, Jerry Jasper, had said Excelsior at the end of one of his condescending rants, I wouldn't have been surprised. In fact, I kind of wish Chip had made up another word. Like Excelsior. Yeah, something
0: along those lines. Like, maybe.
1: you know, expecto patronum. That's not, uh, you know, that's already a thing, but you know what I mean. I know I said that there were no dick jokes, but Chip absolutely nails his skewering of the nerd media clickbait industry with quote-unquote publications like fanball liquors with a Z and <laughs> and basement sexual Jedi's. <laughs> The story takes a wonderful turn towards the end and I'm really eager to see what comes next and if that all weren't enough, Chip's art is pretty great too. It's awesome. I'm a sucker for stories about comics like Public Domain, like The Escapists, Mm -hmm. uh, which by the way was based off of a novel by Michael Chabon called The uh, Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay which was loosely inspired
0: by the lives of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster so it will check that never out never get made into a movie it's been like <laughs> it will never get made into there a movie for like no, 25 for sure. years optioned but it's never going to get made
1: uh, and Chip has hooked me with just the first issue. I loved this. It's a huge buy it for me.
0: Yeah, this is very inside baseball. You kind of got to know a little bit about the culture to really hang here. But I think the story also kind of tells itself. Even if you didn't, like if Casey read this, she'd be able to go, okay, I get it. I see what, you know, the, this guy got. He's the famous guy. And this is the guy behind the famous guy that nobody knows. It, it, it's, every business is kind of like that. Zadarski. Does a fantastic job here. And he doesn't just, he's not just driving home like, see, this is what happens. We get screwed. This is a desperate cry from help from Chip, from Chip Zadarsky. He takes time to do some really cool stuff and, and like from the family point of view and tell this from the point of view of the son, not even the father, who's kind of the main character here. It's from the point of view of the son that still feels for his dad and wants things to be okay. He fleshes out the other son who also like. Not only doesn't want to spend time with dad but comes up with the dumbest lies in the world why like he can't like he's like oh I've got a kickboxing tournament that weekend sorry <laughs> you know <laughs> he's hitting, like works part time in a tattoo shop you know the, Chip Zdarsky is a really great humor writer and I think we've sort of forgotten that a little bit with his long Daredevil run that he's on and he's about to jump on Batman next week we'll talk about that in a little bit here but I'm happy to see him writing something a little more humorous for a change to remind us like hey I'm a funny guy. I'm giving this a buy in too.
1: You know, I don't agree that you have to, you know, know a little bit about the industry. Like he's, it's like you said, it's all spelled out. Yeah, no, and I the, said it and helps. And the idea,
0: I said it helps
1: if you know. Oh, well, it certainly does. Yeah. You know, it certainly gives it more meaning, right? right? If you if you're in on the joke, but the idea of like creators getting screwed out of their creations is a tale as old as time. You know, sometimes sometimes you're the zuck and sometimes you're the winklevoss. Sure, but. Yeah, it's uh, uh, or whoever Andrew Galt, like Andrew Garfield's character's name was Miguel. I don't even remember. Uh,
0: but yeah, absolutely, check it out. Let's jump on down to America's pinnacle of democracy, Florida, to talk about The Sins of the Black Flamingo, number one of five. It's from Image Comics. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Andrew Wheeler with art by Travis Moore. Here is your solicit. Occult noir, Miami sleaze. Sebastian Harlow is the black flamingo, a flamboyant and narcissistic thief who gets his kicks stealing mystic artifacts from the wealthy and corrupt of Miami's occult underground. When his latest job leads him to his biggest score so far, the hedonistic outlaw discovers something he wasn't looking for. Something to believe in. It is about time we got a fabulously gay occult detective thief story. (laughs) And Wheeler's Black Flamingo does the job with style. He's not just a great thief, he looks good doing it too. The story is equal parts everything I just named. There's elements of Indiana Jones, John Constantine, mixed with some very well-written but also pretty nihilistic sociopolitical commentary. And of course, it's all set in the dumpster fire of democracy that is Florida. Travis Moore's art has a soft realism that reminds me of Phil Noto's work, but maybe with a little more detail. With the aid of superstar colorist Tamra Bonvillain, the two make Miami glow in neon pink and then later on switch the color palette for a few nightmarish pages that are just covered in blood red. The story writes itself. It's a smart specialist who uses their skills to right wrongs and solve a mystery, but it's Moore's timing and excellent dialogue that really brought the book home for me. Sins of the Black Flamingo looks to be a fantastic new creator-owned story for fans of any caper or occult comic with an out-and-proud hero that just likes doing his job. I'm giving this a buy-it. This was just fun to read. Yeah, I agree. It was really good. Um, There was only
1: one thing that kind of tripped me up. Um, Like, I know that he was taking supernatural artifacts, but at first it was kind of in the way that like Indiana Jones takes supernatural artifacts, right? Like he's just a man. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Don't look at it. Right. You know, or that's, or, you know, he's getting his heart pulled out. There's a moment where Black Flamingo has kind of like a vision of some kind. And at first it seems like he didn't expect it. But then next thing you know, his partner is like drawing runes in the air with their yeah, finger. There's and more so going I thought, on. I think I think that it was I I think
0: that that's just one of his powers is that he can see things. Well, there's more going on here, and we don't know what it is yet. And I think they wanted you to to just be like, oh, he's a thief and he does this thing and he kind of plays yeah. dumb here and there. And when then in that scene. Specifically, the one where I was talking about, where you know the blood red vision or whatever. There's definitely something else going on with this character, and and we'll get there. I'm sure. Yeah. Well,
1: but there's also like, there's also uh, it kind of harkens back to that scene where he's in the vault. And he sees everything as red And yes. The thing that the th- he's
0: looking for is The thing glowing. that he's looking
1: for Is glowing <laughs> glow- Like there's It's glowing from inside the box That it's in And I was like Oh he's just
0: wearing Like night vision goggles Or something I think that's kind of What they were Wanted you to think He, This is part but of Like the mask that he wears He's got some sort of sight Yes There's something going um,
1: on Yeah uh, And uh, But other than Other than being a little confused by that uh, I thought this was really good The art is fantastic uh, Travis Moore well done. Well done. It's super beefcakey. There's male breasts and butts oh, yeah. everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I think male yeah, breasts hey, are called
0: pecs when they look like this. They they don't call They're them breasts. They're male breasts, They're, like, like, They're man boobs. You and I might have man boobs. This dude does not. <laughs> <laughs> he does not. He does. He, does. he definitely has pecs.
1: Oh, how about, okay, male nipples then. How about that? All right. Uh, no, I loved this. It's a buy it. Our final review of this week. Our grand return to recording after what feels like a billion years away, even though we only missed. We recorded last week. We did. We just missed two cover to covers. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I just it's weird. I feel weird. It's Batman Catwoman number 12 from DC Comics Black Label. Remember that. That's important. It's written by Tom King with R by Clayman. And here is your solicit. Wedding bells are finally ringing for Batman and Catwoman. As our story concludes, the lovers prepare to take the next steps in their lives together by trading everlasting vows. I don't want to read this part. But I'm gonna. The Bat-Cat wedding is here. And knowing Bruce and Selina, it'll be anything but conventional. You won't want to miss this final chapter of Tom King's Batman epic. I'm telling you right now, if you really like Tom King and if you've really been loving this and you really loved his Batman run, I am not going to be kind. So buckle up. Our long national nightmare is over. Tom King's reign of terror over Gotham City has finally ended. After 12 issues, one special, and 19 and a half long months, this exhausting series reaches its climax, delivering a meaningless moment of out-of-continuity fan service that should have happened in continuity in the pages of Batman four years ago. Or not at all. You know, or I, not at all. But and hey,
0: nothing would change, you know? Right.
1: That's not to say that there aren't bright spots. I do enjoy the idea of Clark and Lois being Bruce and Selena's best couple friends. That's really neat. And the wedding itself is actually pretty touching. The officiant is dressed like Adam West's Batman. It's really cute. Uh, but the story was so poorly conceived and overly complicated, jumping in and out of multiple flashbacks and flash-forwards like it was an episode of Lost. Not only that, but the final dagger in the back of Selena's character comes in the resolution to the future plot, where, no joke, she basically forces her daughter, who is the goddamn Batwoman, to become an accessory to murder... And then reveals that she lied about one of the biggest plot points of the present day
0: story, or maybe it was the flashback. I can't. Really I think remember. it was the flashback. I can barely tell. I think it's a well, flashback think, because it makes it even worse. Because that means she's been lying about it all these years. I think. I think it had to have been the present day story. I think it had to have been the present day story, I think I think it it dude. Day story. I think it. I think this started way back, and she's been lying to Bruce and her daughter for years and years and years and years, which well, makes I Selena this- even worse. I
1: think I'm going to say this like we can we can look it up, but I'm fairly certain that the flashback showed the character I'm thinking of with them when they were younger or mentioned when they were younger. And then the present day plot had all of the action and then the big plot development I'm thinking about. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't
0: matter. What sucks is like we both read this and we don't know. That, we don't, have, yeah, that I would should not, tell you t- something.
1: Do you know why? Because it took 19 months to put out 12 yeah, comics. Yeah, that should 19 tell you. 19 and a half months. Uh, and yeah, it makes, uh, it, it basically forces Bruce to deal with decades of guilt and loss for no real reason that I could discern. Like you read that last scene, right? Yeah. Can you, did they give any reason for why that happened? I don't think they did.
0: Other than they wanted Selena to look like shit, I, I guess. Yeah. Tell it you, makes I, Catwoman I, look I, I think there's a very heavy-handed Tom King thing going on here where he's sort of trying to tell a story where, like, well, love is love, Joe, and we don't get to pick who we love. And Selena, she doesn't fit in Batman's world, but... He loves her. What sucks is the reason that she doesn't fit in Batman's world is one, she's a murderer. Two, she's a liar. <laughs> like three, yeah, uh, Batman, she's a terrible uh, B- mom. Like, <laughs> this Catwoman, like, this, cat uh, this
1: version of Selena Kyle is a tremendous piece of shit. Yeah. And like if you want to read a few if you want to read a future a, a future Catwoman story done right, read Cliff Chang's Catwoman Lonely City. Excellent stuff. Yes. I mean, because goddamn, ugh, this made me mad. Art-wise, Clayman is excellent, as he always is, except for his tendency to have his female characters thrust out their chests and asses yeah. at every opportunity, yeah. which is always creepy and gross. Hey, but at least we get one good crotch shot of Bruce in his bat briefs. It is Pride Month after all. little something for the boys. There you go. Tom King's Batman run, for all of its problems, deserved a chance to end in the main book as it originally was intended. Instead, it limped to an unsatisfying, out-of-continuity conclusion that took way too long to come out and wasn't worth the time and effort it took to follow. Seriously, they tried to give us the happy ending with the wedding after they reveal all of that crap. Yeah. This is a huge leave it. I hated this comic.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm just, this is me guessing here, all right? And I know you hate it when I do this. I have a feeling the wedding was written years ago the wedding was written and it was going to be an issue 50 and it was going to no. be, or whatever issue that was, uh, it, it was 50. Was it? Yeah. It was going to be in Batman 50 and it was going to be this cute. And we were going to go, nope. yeah. All right. And then DC was like, Hey, something got screwed up in the scheduling. And we think maybe you could flesh this out a little bit. And what if we put the brakes on this and you'll finish it in your own special? And he's like, Oh yeah, you know what? I would like to flesh this out a little bit. Fine. Flesh it out into four issues. Flush it out into two issues, yeah. but 12 issues. Of the, right. I even said to you, I said, Joe, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this because I've only read four issues of it and I don't have time to read the other eight. So I read issue 12 first and I said to myself, right. if I can, if I can read issue 12 and I can go, there it is, then I'm not going to worry about it. I read issue 12 and went. Oh, so nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. Nothing mattered. But like mattered. You, know, you know the thing that I was mad about, right? Yes, the, yes. The, 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 lie, the lying part? Yes, I went back and I skimmed okay. some of the other stuff to figure yeah, out yeah. where we were there. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. This yeah. whole thing was an adventure in making Selena Kyle look like a piece of shit to teach Batman that sometimes you just fall in love with somebody who sucks. You know, like, I don't get it. It was a complete waste of time. I like Tom King. I'm a Tom King fan. I think he has more hits than misses. This was a weird experiment that got shunted to Black Label that happens in or out of continuity or both. Out. And does not matter. Leave
1: yeah, it. Yeah, like Batman is not married. Like no. He, Batman is not married. Right. I'm telling you. No, leave like, it. Just leave it. And salt on the wound is that in the present day portion- they make a reference to Alfred being gone, which to my memory is like the first time they acted like Alfred, like they even bothered to mention that Alfred died.
0: Yeah. And so it's like, why now? Like, why are you going to try to fit it into continuity? They were loosely trying to like, talk about things that are really happening in Batman. And guess what? This is, he's not married. Just like you
1: said, this did not happen in Batman. Like you're going to pick up Batman (laughs) 125, and Batman will not be married. Exactly.
0: You know, I don't know. This is a uh, failure. Yeah. This is a failure. This
1: this comic made me like, actually angry, and his run on Batman, especially the end. I'll I'll grant you, I think that he did write a wedding, not this wedding, but I think he did write a wedding yeah. for Batman Fifty. And I'll grant you that maybe DC was like, I don't know, maybe they did pump the brakes, but then he spent the next twenty five issues, floundering. Yeah. And we get we get like oh Dick Grayson almost gets his head blown off, Alfred get his gets his neck twisted around. It's just like a series, uh, and it's all set to like somebody else's poetry, right, right, right. You
0: know, and it's like it's all of there, the like worst excesses. There of Tom were King's things movie. that I did like about Tom King's run. There absolutely were. I I liked that they looked into Batman's trauma and stuff like that, and and really shed some light on that. With that said, it probably should have been 25 issues shorter,
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, and this comic should—this this miniseries should not have happened. Yeah. Need more new THN comic reviews? Check out our Ludicrous Speed Reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, where we write short reviews of other new stuff we read each week. If you want to know more about the comics we just talked about, check out our show notes where you can find links with more information and hit us up in the new comics channel of our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we quit blowing up new comics, we'd better pick one to stay in mint condition so we can join
0: the THN permanent collection. It's Starhenge. I've never it, Mine is Starhenge, hands down. That book looked so absolutely amazing and you could just see Liam Sharp having a great time writing it. It was British, it was heavy sci-fi, it was weird. I loved it, Starhenge. Uh,
1: you know, as much as I really, really loved X-Men 12, it's kind of like the end of an arc, and so it, it's really more about that whole the whole ride. Uh, for me, it was public domain. I loved public domain. It was great, yeah. Uh, and that is my pick for the THN permanent collection.
0: to take a break from all the fireworks and head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we can shower off all the burn marks and smoke in our hair with a little help from Hydro Man and our new walk-in ceiling mounted rain shower.
1: Why is Hydro Man here? Is this thing hooked up to the water supply? Is he watching us shower? Is he the water? What's happening here? Joey,
0: you're thinking about it too much. He just helped install it and then he vanished down the drain. Now, Come on in. The water's great, and let's tell these nerds about your must-read shower wearing a black t-shirt for next week.
1: <laughs> my pick for next week is Batman 125 from DC Comics. Uh, the price is 5.99. It's written by Chip, with art by Jorge Jimenez. Uh, it's Chip Zdarsky, in case you didn't know that. Here's your solicit. Superstar writer Chip Zdarsky joins legendary artist Jorge Jimenez to define a new era in Batman. Bruce Wayne is at a turning point, haunted by dreams of a dark future, while Gotham City billionaires are being gruesomely murdered. With the discovery of an arch enemy's involvement and a tragedy unfolding, the Dark Knight's nightmares are just beginning. Failsafe starts here. And in the backup, there's chaos in Gotham as the Underworld fights over one of its crown jewels, and Selina Kyle is caught in the middle. Can she stop the bloodshed and maybe even make a little money in the process, and hey, where will she and Batman
0: go on their honeymoon? I was going to say, what are you going to do if they're married? What are they're you going to do if you pick this up? And he's like, but you, first thing you see him doing is like, better take off my wedding ring before I put on the back gloves. And you're like, what?
1: <laughs> Look, it won't, it won't change the shit show. That was Batman. Grand I'm not Woman. saying it will, but what I would, I would
0: seriously, I would just drop the book and be like, all right. <laughs> okay. I mean,
1: you don't think the solicit would mention something about newlyweds. Come on. Who knows?
0: Um, uh, I am really
1: looking forward to getting back into Batman uh, as a regular reader. Um, I fell off during Tinian's run. I just wasn't into it. And, uh, like, all of the future state, fear state, post state, police state. Like, I couldn't keep track. See, it's too bad because Tamaki's
0: uh, run is really good. And, like, in uh, what's his name? Dan I want to enjoy Tamaki's run. It's yeah. gorgeous. The art looks great. It's been really good. But I agree. It's, it like, kind of leaned. The, it sort of turned the camera away from what I come to a Batman book for. That's my only problem with it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and so we're getting a a, a new opportunity for a jumping in point with Chip Zdarsky, who is a writer I very much enjoy. And I think that he's going to do well in Gotham City. So
0: this will be his first DC, or no, not his first DC work. He's doing that other Batman book. I forgot. Oh,
1: Batman the Night. Batman the Night.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. My pick for next week is Mind Management, colon, bootleg, number one, that's MGMT. It's from Dark Horse, it's 3 dollars it's written by Matt Kent, with art by Farrell Dalrymple. Here is your solicit. Mind management is weird, mind-blowing, paranoid storytelling. It's the first ever comic book from Flux House, Matt Kent's all-new imprint, which features crime, science fiction, and humor stories, all told in startling and untraditional ways. Upcoming publications will take many forms, and the polybagged variant versions of Mind Management will contain a card that is playable as a playing oh card, or as part of a new Flux House game. Pre- oh God. <laughs> <You're> like, what? <laughs> like, this is the first I've heard of this shit. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Previously, in Mind Management, a covert government agency of psychic super spies fell into oblivion after one of their top agents went rogue. What looked like the end was only the beginning as a former leader of mind management explores the darkest parts of the world and recruits a team of forgotten agents to rebuild the organization, bend reality, and go to war with a competing agency. Now, for those of you playing the Flux House game, you're gonna go find cover C. It's the variant. <laughs> it's a special bolly bag cover. It's drawn by Marguerite Savage, and it contains a special mind management playing card. P.S. I have no idea what this Flux House shit is about. This is the very first I've heard of it.
1: I mean, it's a mind management g- game. I don't uh, know. it, it sounds it's like to be a mind management
0: game. I don't know if this is all fake. And it's just part of Matt Kent messing no, with us? No, I don't think so. Or if there's I, actually... Oh, you know what? A, I don't know. A, I won't I yeah. I yeah. won't say for sure. This is the um, only I, guy that I would say, Matt Kent is just crazy enough to do something this big and fake that all ties into mind management and, and makes you on, think there's something, but there's not. Flux House is a thing. Dark Horse reported on this. Brian Michael Bendis brought his imprint, Jinx World, to Dark Horse. So maybe it's the place for creators to have imprints now. I don't know. We got a Magnoliverse. Why not? Mind management... It was an incredible read. If you've never read it, go check it out. Just like it said, it is the paranoid conspiratorial scrawlings of a lunatic telling the secret but true past of America coming into the space race to today and how the government changed the way the public thinks to distract them from what was really happening. It's an amazing read. I'm very happy to have this back and I love Feral Del Rimble. I love that artist.
1: If you're going to go to the comic shop and ask your retailer for a specific copy, make sure you pronounce it correctly.
0: It is pronounced Mind (laughs) Migment. Sorry. Sorry. You know what? I never finished Mind Management. Oh, shame on you. It's so good. God, it's so good. And they've got, there's beautiful collected versions. Here's the thing, and and I think it's a cool thing. People got pissed about this. It's a cool thing, but it's also kind of a bummer. Matt Kent did a bunch of stuff in the print comics where it looks like maybe someone doodled in your comic and left like all these weird, yeah, there's like
1: stuff, there's secret messages in the
0: margins, there's all kinds of crap. And they're not printed in the hardcover versions, which is awesome, because it gives you an excuse to buy both. It's so cool. I love it. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a reward for people that
0: bought it monthly, and yeah. I get it.
1: It, it It's fun. It, it, like It is a fun thing that bums me out as somebody who does not collect monthly content. He
0: even said he'll, they'll never print it like that.
1: The THN Trade of the Week for July 6th. That's right, baby. Next week is July. Goes to Orphan and the Five Beasts. Trade paperback from Dark Horse. It's $15.99. It's written and drawn by James Stokoe. Here's your solicit. Spurred on by her master's dying words, the adopted warrior orphan Mo seeks to find and kill five former disciples who now threaten the land with corruption from their demonic powers. Part five deadly venoms and part surreal grindhouse, James Stokoe brings his knack for ultra detailed fantasy imagery and over the top violence to this classic tale of revenge forces of geeks said quote this comic has a cool story with some amazing artwork and i loved it who wrote that review us yeah now no, like we're even better than that nobody's taking our one-liners come on <laughs> <laughs> uh the mini series came out in march of 2021 uh this was just the first mini it was confirmed on his twitter that there are more chapters coming if you do not know why uh, matt picked this for our trade of the week you have not been paying attention to the show for the last 11 years uh, if there's one thing we love, uh, either individually or collectively, it is kung fu movies and ultra violence.
0: And James Stokoe.
1: My and James God. Stokoe. And James Stokoe, yes. Thank you. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes. And we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, Twitter, and Facebook every Wednesday. So you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. But let us know what you thought of our picks.
0: America is settling in for a long 4th of July weekend where patriots all across the country will litter the streets with spent firecrackers, pollute the air with fireworks, and maybe even start a few forest fires to show their love of the good old USA. So today, for our Patreon extra, we'll be counting down our top five favorite heroes and some villains with explosive powers. Now, keep in mind, this is just a taste of the full segment. You can find at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd when you support THN for as little as $1 a month. Joe Patrick, you're much more of a patriot than I am, so I'm going to let you start with your number five. But before we get into it, Let's spell this out for the kids. We decided. Yeah. No fire powers, no gadgets.
1: These are explosive powers.
0: We're looking for straight up explosive powers.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, powers that cause explosions, not powers that might cause an explosion. Right. You know what I mean? Or like lit-, I lit that I lit that gas pump on fire. Right. Uh, my number five is the human bomb from DC. Now, I don't care which version of the human bomb. See, I
0: went with the I mean, one that I specifically know. It's also my number you, but five. But
1: you don't specifically know this human bomb. You know the human bomb probably from the modern Freedom Fighters comics. No, this
0: is the one that I read about. This is the one like the modern Freedom Fighters, I were fine. I didn't love those so much. But when was the last time you read a
1: comic book about Roy Lincoln, the golden age human bomb? He Long did not first enough. appear in 1986. I can assure you that. I just I just went with his first post-crisis appearance. Roy Lincoln, the Human Bomb, first appeared in Police Comics number one, from August 1941. In case you were wondering, that is also the first appearance of Plastic Man and the Phantom Lady. The Human Bomb was first published by Quality Comics in the 1940s. Quality Comics was bought, but went out of business in 1956. DC bought the rights to all the characters, many of them, including the Human Bomb. Uh, were reintroduced as DC characters in Justice League of America 107 in 1973 as the Freedom Fighters. Right. They would eventually get their own series and they lived on a planet called Earth X where the Nazis won World War II that's where he comes from, at least as far as we know him in the modern age. Um, he would later go on to guest star in All Star Squadron. This is that same version that first appeared in the '70s in DC Comics. Post-Crisis version didn't come until later, um, specifically All
0: Star Squadron number 60 in August 1986. <laughs> that would be okay, the first. <laughs> but you understand that
1: he was—he would have been the same character right. from pre-Crisis, is what I'm telling you. Okay, well, it's because f- that book took place on Earth too.
0: I'm going with the post-Crisis, the uh, first post crisis 1st post Crisis appearance of him because that was the character I knew.
1: It's I- technically <laughs> post crisis in that it came out after the crisis was over. But All-Star Squadron took place largely on Earth 2.
0: Now, they were... Um, okay, not to keep going with this, but they were merged. It wasn't Earth They were 2 merged
1: at the end... They were merged at the end of the crisis, yes. yes. Okay. okay. Um, but I would not... Like, I wouldn't go so far as to say... Like, the Roy Lincoln... The, the character of the human bomb that we have post-crisis is a totally different character because I'm not even sure how much of All-Star Squadron just stayed in continuity. Regardless, it matters not. Uh, the human bomb is exactly what he sounds like. He is a dude. He wears a... An explosive proof suit, like a bomb suit, and he explodes. That's it. He generates a biochemical, he generates a, a chemical from his pores and it explodes with just a touch. Uh, and if he like hits something harder, it increases the explosive force. It's, he's terrifying. Right. But I love the human bomb. I think it's such a cool idea. He's a tragic figure. Love that dude. So the, qual- and, he was used to great effect in uh, all the way up into uh, the early or mid-2000s
0: where Palmiotti and Greg resurrected oh, the yeah. fighters. Oh, yeah. So the pre-crisis one, the golden age dude, was a chemist, and he collaborated with his father, a demolitions expert, and he was helping him build this special kind of – it was called 27QRX – Was explosive thing, right? Nazi agents learned of Lincoln's new chemical and attempted to steal his design so they could use it as a weapon for themselves, thus giving Nazi Germany an edge, yada, yada, yada. The agents raided Professor Lincoln's lab, shot him dead. His son, Roy, desperate to safeguard his father's work, drank the 27 QRX formula. (laughs) It's a very bouncing boy kind of Post-crisis. They changed it quite a bit. He eats the formula. (laughs) Right.
1: And they they recount, like, also he originally wore asbestos gloves. Right. (laughs) uh, But they changed it to something
0: called fibro wax. Something a little less, you know, cancer-causing. Carcinogenic. (laughs) Yeah, so the character is basically the same. I just picked the one that I knew and had read about because I picked up some of those All-Star Squadron books I'd somewhere, like a garage sale or something. I don't care about the freedom fighters. I don't care about Uncle Sam. I always thought the human bomb was a total badass because he's literally just a dude in a suit, shows up, walks in, blows things up and you don't want to be around when it happens. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was like their Hulk kind of. I love that character. Excelsior! Hey, oh that is it for THN 669. Next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns. And just in time for Thor, Love, and Thunder, we're going to be talking about comic book gods. When the gods show up in comics. I actually think it should be titled
1: Comic Book Gods, parentheses, that aren't Thor, and parentheses. <laughs> Well, sure. Because it's it's other comic book gods. Though I might try to sneak in a Thor, just not the Thor.
0: That'd be totally, I'm fine with that. And if you wanted and to not and if and Thor's around, even, I'm that's fine. Not even a Marvel Comics Thor. But we're going to talk about some other gods that may or may not be Asgardian. How's that? There you go. Okay. If you want to rap about this week's episode, any of the comics you've been reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we follow in our nerd news section of our Discord, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. It returns this Saturday. We start recording at 11 Central. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page. But if you want to play along, you have to join our Discord. And there, you'll learn how you can chat or talk with us live on the show and and to get the discussion started we set you up with a question of the week joe patrick we've been sitting on this one for a little while
1: we have been this week's question is courtesy of james kaplan from the discord what's the cringiest era specific reference in a comic that you've seen like something that dates the comic instantly to a very specific moment in time and not in a good way uh james's example any comic where Gangnam Style shows up or in the Ultimates where Freddie Prince Jr. is uh, almost eaten by the Hulk. <laughs> That's
0: a good one.
1: <laughs> uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can post those in the Discord channel. Uh, you can also send them to us via email, contact Facebook, form. Twitter. Contact form. Don't forget. Oh, contact form, baby. Yes. <laughs> to nerd.com, Click on the contact THN link and select a uh, question of the week in the drop down and suggest it right there. If you can't be there live, shoot an mp3 to 2 at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. It's 402-819-4894, and you could be internet famous. Remember, though, please keep your recorded messages on the shorter side. We
0: like to share the air with all of the live listeners. If you're new to this show and you would rather find out that your significant other murdered someone and it's a total shithead to their kid than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Corbett Gitman. He just sounds like a southern gentleman congressman, right? <laughs> Corbett Gitman. A, 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 a southern lawyer. <laughs> I'm,
1: just a, I'm just a country lawyer. Corbett Gitman's the name.
0: If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content like some we just previewed, Or you could just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're a goddamn patriot. All right? It's good for us. It's good for America. That's
1: right. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Charles Sewell and Ryan Brown, the creative team of eight billion genies from Image Comics. Amazon Studios announced that they've picked up the rights to produce a show based on the eight-issue miniseries that asks the question, what if every single person on the planet got a genie? and one wish. What could go I'll wrong? Give you some, I'll give you some spoilers. <laughs> it ain't great. Uh, Where do you, boys. Now, Matt is asking if it's crazy that issue two just hit the stands today. I say, comics have been getting optioned for TV and movies oh, sure. either shortly after or even before launch for years now.
0: More power to them, but like, we literally just read the first issue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, what if it ends really badly? I don't know. <laughs> it, look, I mean, somebody out there has got that treatment, baby what
0: it's all about until next time true believers remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just wish that you blow all your fingers off this fourth of july have a safe and happy one by the way and this is the two-headed nerd signing off